Welcome to Project Odd Ocean, a story told in parts. My name is Joey Ammons. For the most part, I am a stranger to you. I am first and foremost an artist. I spend most of my day concepting, drawing, and modeling floats, balloons, and other novelties for a rather well-known parade in New York City. This is how I've spent the last several years, minding my own beeswax and making art. But something strange happened the other day. I had just spent a full day trying to capture the right character of the eyes on a clay model for a new giant balloon. I was ready to throw the whole thing away and start from scratch. I was very frustrated. The day felt like a huge waste of time and I was beginning to question my worth as an artist. As routine, I checked the mail on my way home and that's when it happened. Among an unreasonably high pile of junk mail was a large A4 letter sized black envelope. It was addressed to me, but lacked any return label. Inside was a typed manuscript of sorts. Now I tend to receive lots of fan mail at my job, as the parade is well known and well loved. But this was different, and this is where things became exceedingly interesting. You see, the manuscript appeared to be a short story or novel titled, Odd Ocean, A Story Told in Parts. As I read through the story, I quickly realized what I had in my hands. It was a work of art. I immediately felt compelled to share this story with the rest of the world. Besides the text, there was no other information, not even a signature, save for a simple D initial. As someone who listens to many audiobooks, I figured what better way than to narrate the chapter and release it as a podcast. I thought this might be a good safety measure in case this mysterious D decided to show up one day in person. You never know what fans are capable of. Oddly, however, I am hoping that I will continue to receive more chapters. The story is too compelling to ignore. Now, the sheer weight of the story's profoundness was awe-inspiring. And because I am an adult, the only way I see best to calm my nerves as I read one exciting word after the next is to drink adult drink. I only endorse the use and not abuse of libations if you are of your country's, province, or sovereign city-state's drinking age. Today I am drinking Carol's Mead, the official New York Renfair booze. Mead is made from honey and therefore superior to most wines. According to the label, quote, This mead is sweet in style. According to legend, sweet mead was served to eliminate the bitter taste of battle, end quote. Full disclosure. I can also share with you up front that from what I can tell, this chapter contains a diverse multi-ethnic cast of characters. While I'm not sure of myself of the backgrounds of these characters religions, ethnicities, sexualities, or gender associations, or lack thereof. My intentions are to portray these characters honestly and without stereotype. And if I stumble, please let me know. And now, without further ado, here is chapter one of Odd Ocean. A girl stood in front of a collection of cubes with illuminated glyphs. When she held her hand over one cube, it rotated to reveal another side. She experimented with alternating cube face combinations until she heard a loud, deliberate click as two cubes fused together. Then she analyzed the pattern carefully for a few seconds. The girl had a dark complexion, hazelish green eyes, and a small rounded nose. But her most striking feature was her shoulder-length cream-white hair. She wore a pair of padded gray breeches a long-pocketed navy blue coat, and a heavily strapped pair of knee-high boots. A brown bandolier lined with small pouches hung from her shoulder and casually down across her hip. At the end of the bandolier was a medium-sized satchel. 
It connected, but it's not changing its position, she said quietly to herself, holding her chin, fingers tapping her lips. A black horse speckled with splashes of white several paces away nonchalantly nipped at an outgrowth of ramps that had managed to sprout forth between unlaid tiles of granite flooring. His tail whipped the air. The chamber looked as though it was only mid-construction, whose crew suddenly up and left before completing the project. There were masonry materials, tools, and paraphernalia strewn about the room. The overall architectural design was reminiscent of some antediluvian civilization. The arched doorways and windows, as well as their crownings, were carved from sandstone into ornate circular designs, their edges crisp with chiseled gouges disclosing the structure's infancy. The girl tried sliding and turning the cubes over again, attempting to mate symbols. The symbols were matched, the cubes joined together, forming something larger. Okay, I think I know where this is going now, she muttered. After she tried a few more combinations, the cube puzzle took shape. A muffled, satisfying click followed by the sound of two stones skidding alongside each other, and a panel on a wall which appeared to be part of the wall recessed until a new pathway was revealed. As the pathway emerged, a melodious chime rang out in the room from all directions. Ha! She blurted at the horse boastfully as she unbuckled a saddlebag on its side. Give me one impossible problem to solve and I will break it down into a hundred easy ones. The horse looked at her blankly before returning to graze. The girl removed a worn, red leather-bound book and a pencil from the bag and started sketching the solution on the page. In a place where several cubes had fit together, a small engraved symbol emerged. Charlotte held a single page out from the book and pressed it down over the symbol. With a pencil in hand, she ran the lead over the page to generate a rubbing of the engraving. Or in this case, more like 100,000 tiny less impossible problems, she grumbled while analyzing the problem's solution. As she was returning the book to its bag, something caught her eye in the corner of the room. A bright opalescent patch of stone material obstructed a hole in the stone wall. The girl was familiar with the opalescent stone. She called it sarandite. Like a solidified mist, it tended to obscure her passages into places off the beaten path from a given problem. Generally, it was ideal to solve a given gordix within the structure that it was presented. It was important to resolve the logic of the problem as directly as possible in order to fully understand its mechanisms. To show the work. However, she had found that sarandite passages could sometimes be gateways to other puzzles, puzzles she, in one sense or another, had not anticipated. Or they could indicate an opportunity for breakthroughs in a multi-layered complex problem. Problems that, in and of themselves, were answers to greater problems. She called these problems Gordixes. A dark figure shifted behind the wall of translucent stone. Was it a new entity, she wondered? Entities were rare. She had only ever encountered a dozen types or so. And most of those had been ones she'd known since their inception. She approached the sarandite and held her hand up to it. This patch was especially dense. Sarandite itself was nearly indestructible to conventional means, but she had a tool for this. She unlatched a necklace she was wearing. It was a simple silver sphere affixed to a nondescript silver chain. She wove it around her fingers of her left hand and held it directly against the sarandite. The sarandite started to melt away from her necklace, repelling its touch. But the dark figure behind it shifted out of view. She tried to move her hand faster over the sarandite. It shrank to its touch, but not quickly enough. At this rate, the creature would be completely out of sight. You're going to have to swallow it, Charlotte, said a deep, croaky voice from behind her. It was the black and white horse. Swallow it? She gulped. I always feel like I'm going to accidentally swallow it for real.
He's getting away, the horse noted while gesturing with his muzzle at it. Charlotte sighed and yanked the mirror ball pendant from her hand, causing it to break free of its silver chain. She then popped it into her mouth and swallowed. Shortly after, her body began to radiate with a brilliant gold hue. The sarandite stone rapidly melted away from her, sloughing off into vaporous clumps. She hurried through the dissolving sarandite towards where she last saw the creature. It was several paces away and did not acknowledge her. It was hard for her to identify the creature. She could tell it was not the more familiar Shadesfiend entities that occasionally appeared to hamper progress. It lacked the general gait and shape, but more importantly, it was not seeking her out. Shadesfiends were highly aggressive creatures accustomed to lurking in shadows before striking out to damage or break a puzzle, or in some cases, even Charlotte herself. Regardless, she had her hand stunner at the ready just in case it did turn out to be aggressive. She hurried down the Sarandite Passage further and turned a corner to get a better look. This creature was short and bulbous in stature like a potato, with horns or antennas. Through a cloak of obscura mist, she could just make out its solid core. Through breaks in the shroud, she observed a combination of light pastel candy-colored tints and blues and pinks. She hurried towards the creature. Several more strides and the creature was within shouting distance. Just then, she found that her left foot was fused to the floor of the cavern, and she knew she was in the grasp of a sand trap. It was not entirely accurate to call it a sand trap, as it was really more of a place where the floor suddenly decided to no longer be a floor, and rather behave more like a deep well of wet concrete. She fought the sand trap futilely, trying to free her foot. Sometimes this worked if she was quick enough, but to her dismay, that did not happen. A small misstep and her other foot was also captured. True to its name, the sand trap swiftly swallowed her up to the waist, shoulders, and then neck in a matter of seconds. Hey, she shouted to the unfamiliar entity, trying not to swallow a gulp of molten floor. It shot back a glance, having noticed her for the first time. With the surface of the floor rising above her face, she could see a tufted serpentine form slithering alongside the quicksand pit. It was the creature's beaded tail, several meters in length. With her remaining strength, she shot a hand out to grasp it. She was successful in catching a bead of fur on the tail, but it popped off in her grasp while the rest of the long tail continued on and leaving her without purchase. Several sets of curious yellow eyes piercing through the darkness trained on her before she was swallowed completely by the floor. An instant later, she found herself in her bed in her apartment. Beads of sweat crowned her forehead. This was unusual. She normally began the loci meditation in her desk chair, and she could not recall ever once moving. She shot her right hand up to grip the mirror ball necklace, thankfully still affixed to her neck with the silver chain and not in her stomach. The habit of checking for it had become instinctual, and not just because she was worried about swallowing it when in the state. She massaged the spherical piece of jewelry between forefinger and thumb. The weight and shape of it in her hand was soothing. Her other hand was involuntarily clenched into a tight fist holding something small and round. She tried to open her fingers, but her hand was not responding. She must have cut off the circulation while engaged in the state. She pried her rigor mortis fingers open with her other hand, and with some effort the fingers gave open. To her surprise, it was empty, even while the impression of something still lingered on her clammy palm. Charlotte was massaging the pins and needles out of her hand when a number came unbidden into her mind. 4086. That was strange, she thought. She pulled the soundproofing putty from her ears, deafening white noise roared from a pair of upright speakers that were each over four feet tall apiece. She rushed over to the power supply and hit the switch clumsily. Damn it, why do I always have to take the plugs out first, she wondered. She slinkered back down into the wooden chair of the desk and pulled open a drawer. She retrieved a small, worn, blue, leather-bound book. 
She sketched down some of the basic features of the new entity she had seen. It was always best to do this immediately after a session. Eventually, the images of previous ventures would fade away in time. She wanted to be sure to capture the creature's essence. She wrote the letters Q-H-A-T just below the crude drawing. She was so sure she meant to write Gremlin, but went ahead and left the mistake there. The creature had some markedly mammalian features. There was something raccoonish about its anatomy, with its small hands and masked face. It was also able to walk upright. Then she recalled its half-dozen or so yellow eyes, lit up in the dark, like so many LEDs, and its light blue and pink markings. Finally, she recalled a zipper that terminated in a lock just above its belly. She revised her sketch of the creature to include these features. She was a poor artist and would likely not refer back to this drawing, but the exercise always helped her to clarify her thoughts. For example, ruminating over the appearance of the cat while sketching it, she was able to recall its non-organic features. Never could she remember any known entities that possessed mechanical or even robotic features whatsoever. They were either strictly organic or spectral in nature. She flipped back several code-laden pages within the notebook. She stopped on a page featuring a Shades Fiend. These legless entities were made up almost entirely of obscura mist while floating above the floor. Empty, tattered black robes, they hovered just barely above the ground. Meanwhile, on the opposing side, page, an eyeless, snail-like creature oozed a glossy, iridescent substance. These entities Charlotte had known were the origin of the Sarandite deposits. Her thoughts were rudely interrupted by a buzzing at the door. She considered ignoring it altogether, but had promised herself that she would make an effort to be better at people. She placed the blue notebook back in the drawer and hopped out of the chair to check the peephole. It was her co-worker's, though. She rolled her eyes and stood there quietly, hoping that he would give up and leave. Another buzz. Come on! I saw that your light is on and I have something important to share, said an all-too-familiar voice through the door. Charlotte froze in her desk, contemplating feigning absence, but instead she found herself unlatching the door to let him inside. A thin man in a slim-fitting gray suit glided into the room. Charlotte! You won't believe this! He exclaimed with his arms outstretched. He was holding a six-pack carton of brown beer bottles in his right hand. Um, no, it's not really, she replied, shielding her eyes from the bright lights of the hallway. You have to hear this! He interrupted her as he set the carton of beer bottles down on the counter. So, you know how there was word going around that they were creating a new manager role for the Cheshire reports? He asked. Yes. She reluctantly turned the side lamp table on. He was shoulder deep in her small refrigerator. He pulled out a jar of mayonnaise and some deli meats and cheese and started assembling two sandwiches. Charlotte eyed him while he helped himself, but it was not an uncommon experience. Anyways, I have good intel that you're going to be that person. He gestured at her with a butter knife he had just retrieved from the utensil drawer. That's, um, surprising, Charlotte said. Ew, plain white bread. You know you can order the higher grade stuff from the listserv, right? No matter. He carefully placed four slices of bread before laying down a generous bed of sliced turkey. Aren't you happy? Zoe asked. Big promotion, big raise, so on and so forth. He opened one of the bottles of beer and pushed into Charlotte's hand. Wait, are you old enough to drink this? What? She said, but she could feel herself becoming flush. But, but how do you know this? She asked, holding the bottle. Let's just say, I have eyes and ears everywhere. He took a vigorous bite of his first sandwich. Oh shit, I'm sorry, did you want one? He said, gesturing to one of his hastily made creations. No, no, I'm good. Setting down the sandwich on the plate, he pawed around his suit jacket excitedly while chewing, patting several pockets before finding and retrieving a small black velvet bag. 
He emptied it onto the table in front of him, and a black device no larger than a pea bounced out. A bug? Isn't that risky? She asked. Well, they never knew. He waved his hand dismissively. Don't be so sure, she said before taking a meager sip of the beer. She held back a grimace at the dark stout's bitterness. So looked at her and thought for a second. I... I'm going to choose not to think that. The bottom line is that I heard them bring up your name. I think you're the one they're going to pick. Hmm. You seemed so sure a minute ago, but now you only suspect, she replied. I suspect strongly. Well, aren't you excited? Charlotte was staring into the distance. There was something not right about that last look, I venture. She thought while looking at the hand that grasped the creature's tail. Hello, Zoe said before popping the last bite of the first sandwich into his mouth. Um, y- yes, uh, of course I'd be excited. I- I'm just not convinced you heard correctly, she replied, feigning a smile. You can't be excited about anything, he complained. I bet you only got socks for Christmas growing up, she nodded. I always ask for socks, she muttered. And probably four zero eight. She covered her mouth wide-eyed. What? So gawked. What were those numbers? You've been looking at too many lines of code, I think. Charlotte tentatively nodded, somewhat embarrassed. Are you alright? You look sweaty. Yeah. No, I'm fine, she said, going over the numbers in her mind. But Zoe had already moved on. Restless, he bounded out of the chair and began investigating Charlotte's apartment. He petted one of her huge speakers. Wow, you don't play Bach on these. Actually, do you? And what's with all this foam? You need extra insulation in here? Nearly every inch of wall space had been covered with thick, studio-grade soundproofing foam. But Charlotte was still too busy mauling over the unbidden numbers to respond. She nodded at him vacantly. The numbers were still there on the tip of her mind, expecting something from her. She had to write them down. Somewhere. For some reason, it was dire. While Charlotte scrambled for a pen and paper from the desk drawer, Zoe's probing eyes had moved on to a framed picture sitting on Charlotte's desk. Upon noticing a young Charlotte in the picture, Zoe smiled. I didn't know you had a brother. Charlotte, having found a pen and paper about to write, looked up at him. Okay, um, well, yes, I did, she explained. Did? Oh, shit, I'm sorry, he said, scratching the back of his head. Not binding Zoe's intrusion, which would normally have sent her into a fit of panic, she hunched over the desk and feverishly scrawled the numbers down on the paper. There were more. 4086-2676-7393. Was there more? She wondered. She pressed the tip of the ballpoint pen expectantly against the paper. The urge was there, but no new numbers came. Too many digits to be a phone number, he mentioned, peering at her work. She looked at him blankly. What? Well, what is it then, a code? He asked. No, no, it's nothing, Charlotte said, flipping the page over. Just, just working something out, for work. She was flushed and her heart was racing. Are you okay? You still look hot. Or sweaty, I mean. I need to be alone for a while, I think, she said. I, I, I need to work on this. Yes, yes, I, I'm sorry. It's, I, I didn't, sorry about your brother. He apologized. Charlotte followed behind until Zoe was in the hall. She was about to close the door when he said, Oh, and about the promotion. Have a beer. Think about it. These kinds of things are big deals. Don't just throw it away. With her hands poised on the doorknob, she nodded at him. See you tomorrow, Zoe said before walking away. But then he stopped and looked back. You are one tough nut to crack, Charlotte Green. 
She nodded as he walked off, but bristled at the notion she was some kind of mystery box to be solved. Tough nut, she muttered to herself as she latched the chain lock on the door. It was at that instant when she was reminded of the silver chestnut-shaped object that she found on the ground just before sinking into the sand trap. But what of the silver nut, she wondered. It was a fair guess that it had come from the gremlin, this cat. Foreign artifacts were rarely found. She sat back down at the wooden desk and opened the drawer that contained the blue leather-bound notebook. She opened it to the same page where she had sketched out the gremlin and drew the silver nut to the best of her recollection. The drawing always seemed to be missing something, the essence of the thing in loci. In a way, it was like trying to taste something you had never seen nor smelled and only heard about through rough description. No, it was even more obscure than that, she thought. Like having a sixth sense once, then having that sense go missing altogether. So then how to remember the subject of the sense you lost, leaving only the impression and abstraction. But now here, it was sketched on the page, a simple silver nut. The best she could surmise was its shape, a slightly squashed sphere, with a broad ring wound around it. It reminded her of one of those orbit Saturn jawbreakers. She wrote, Saturn nut, down on the page next to the drawing. She flipped over the paper and stared at the numbers again, expectantly tapping the pen against the paper. Tap, 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 tap. She found she was doing this with her left hand, though she was right-handed. Tap, tap, tap. This was the same hand that was clasped around the silver nut. Tap, tap, pause. The taps came to her as if she was remembering a melody, but there was no rhythm to it. She quickly transcribed the taps as if they were Morse code. Three, four, six, four, and now letters, T-R, root. The pattern repeated, four, zero, eight, six, so on and so forth. Her hand finally steadied and the urge to tap stopped. She looked at the notepad with the results of the engram in total. Four, zero, eight, six, two, six, seven, six, dash, seven, three, nine, three, three, four, six, four, TR roots. Here we are, listeners, at the end of the beginning. I know, right? Were you on the edge of your seat just like me? If you enjoyed what you heard, you'll be happy to know that just this evening, in the middle of recording this episode, I casually went to check my mail again, not expecting to find anything, and there it was. The second black envelope. I'm getting shivers just talking about it. Not a week later in another installment? I can't wait to share it with you all in the next episode of Project Odd Ocean. What I'm listening to. As a visual artist, I consume a lot of audio content, and I'm always on the lookout for new material. So I'd like to share with you today a podcast I've been listening to for the last decade. I'm an avid listener of Skeptic's Guide to the Galaxy. Critical thinking is by far the most important and untaught set of skills. It's apparent in every aspect of our civilization. And there is no other podcast I have so consistently listened to. So check it out. You can find me on Instagram at powerkid.exe. Full disclosure, I know I come off as it all sophisticated and serious here on the podcast, but I am actually a huge dork. I cosplay. That is the art of dressing up and drinking at the same time. Within my feed, you will also be treated to glimpses of the illustrious parade studio where I work. It's basically Willy Wonka's chocolate factory without the chocolate. You know, 
Before I received this second envelope, I was convinced this would be a standalone episode. But I have a good feeling that there's even more to come. Stay tuned, listeners. Generally, it was ideal to solve a given Gordon... <sighs> and most of those that have... <laughs> It was at that instance when she reminded of the, she was reminded of the with the surface of the floor rising above her face, she could just see a tuft of serpentine slithering flopperty derperty foppity boo. <laughs>